Plus, plus, plus. There are so many upcoming Disney things, and our podcast is only so long. What's one that looks good to you? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and I don't know most of what is coming up on this, but I saw that there will be an Enchanted sequel, and yeah, I'll watch an Enchanted sequel, sure. I'm Matt Patches, and I gotta say, there's gonna about to be like 8,000 Marvel Disney Plus shows soon, but the Loki one looks pretty fun and mischievous. Hey, it's me, Dave with the Seven, and I'm going to go with Win or Lose, the Pixar TV series that will cover the same period of time each episode, but from a different character's perspective. Hmm. I'm David Ehrlich. I think that uh, Katie Patch is saying that um, uh, Disenchanted looks fun, and Patch is saying the Loki show looks mischievous, question mark, uh, is a real clear distillation of the absolute hell that awaits us all. Uh, And I will go with... David likes the Marvel movies. Don't forget that. Zac Efron's Three Men and a Baby. If Neighbors and its sequel taught me anything, it's that Zac Efron (laughs) and babies, relative to me of any age, makes for great comedy. I'm sorry, David. It's actually Baby Yoda, so... Oh, Jesus. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 329. It is pandemic 40. It is the week of Wednesday, December 16th, 2020. That's the day that in 1951, apparently television schedules were weird and Dragnet premiered on NBC. Yep. And our relationship with with the police on television was never the same again. It was totally fine. Did you know that in film school, they teach you Dragnet editing? Are you aware of this as a concept? Katie, David, and Dave. Is it about the, like the um, is by the invisible uh, like the ninety degree rule or something? I'm no, it's about in Dragnet they would always cut to whoever's talking, no matter what. Like there was no artful editing <laughs> where you might linger on someone's reaction shot. If someone has a line, you cut to them, and it is not what you're. That's funny. Not not what the artists at NYU. People who have not made movies at any level, I think, drastically underestimate or don't even think about how hard it is to decide when you, who you should be uh, pointing the camera towards vis-a-vis when they're talking. Uh, the Dragnet really saved themselves a lot of headaches by just, you know, going going by that rule. Well, is he talking? Let's see it. We're going we're to talk about a movie. We're going to talk about a movie today directed by Steven Soderbergh called Let Them All Talk, where the opposite is quite true. A lot of the shots in the movie, uh, he apparently was was recording silent reaction shots and letting the actors improvise off screen in order to optimize for the the reaction shots whereas you you might just set up a second camera to get the other person's reactions while someone is saying the lines my understanding is that Soderbergh like tried to optimize for silent reaction shots by letting the dialogue go off the rails and using footage that is not yeah, reacting to man, the dialogue. That, wow. I mean, cool. Cool. This Editing is like cool. It's going to be a bad. I think it's going to be a bad the movie. logical conclusion of Steven Soderbergh's career at this point is teaching a sort of like rogue Werner Herzog film school of some kind. That would be oh, amazing. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. yeah, I would go to that film school. Is it on a cruise? Um, uh, yeah. It will be on a cruise. Well, it will entirely take place in seven days, and it will cost you a fraction of the money that uh, the rest of us suckers paid for grad school before. In my case, dropping out. But you have to go on the cruise like next week, so you got to figure <laughs> out where you stand on that. 
Um, all right. Before we get too far into Meryl Streep and boats, um, David, I hear we have reviews. We do indeed. Uh, Invest in Jockoins says review. Good podcast, informative and interesting. Occasionally funny. End of review. James Kahn. Occasionally funny. James Kahn, huh? Uh, well, this is a reference, of course, Katie, to the James Kahn rule. Which is sort of like the Dragnet rule, but for tweets, <laughs> which is that James Conn or whoever James Conn pays to write his tweets signs every tweet with dash James Conn. So, um, uh, oh, that reminds me, I should, I, I, maybe we could talk about this in segment three. I did just watch uh, The Godfather, Coda, colon, or Mario Puzo's The Godfather, colon, James The Conn Godfather, Coda, movie, colon, wow. The Death of Michael Corleone, and... James Conn shows up in flashbacks, but of course, oh. you know, no, no <laughs> footage. We they re-edited it so the camera's always on people when they're talking. <laughs> yeah, that was Finally, the big The dragnet cut. <laughs> we told you you three. couldn't talk about this last week, and then you managed to sneak it in this week anyway. Damn. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, and we have one well, quick you, one. Uh, yeah, well, no, it was from Invest in Jacoins, but he was quoting the great James oh, Conn, right. or they were quoting the great James Conn. And uh, finally, Emily W. from Florida. Emily W. from FL. I don't know if that, I'm assuming it means Florida, but it could mean Funko Land, where they make Funko mm. Pops. Uh, Hong Kong. I just want to thank you all for this podcast over the years. I can't tell you how long I have listened, but you are a podcast I prioritize each week. Oh, I thought it was like, I can't tell you how long I've listened, but I think they're saying that they like literally just don't know how long they've listened. Uh, I appreciate how you cover all sorts of topics from film to television to video games to video games to video games. We're now known <laughs> as a video game podcast. We are. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we have the editor-in-chief of Polygon. Is that what you are? I keep <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly. No. Oh, I know who the editor-in-chief is. It's not you. Um, for giving listeners variety each week. All of y'all are great. Shout out to Katie Rich. as She is the host I often align with the most. Thank you all yet again for bringing me joy during the pandemic times. Hopefully sometime in 2021, Katie won't have to introduce the show as Pandemic Week 112. Well, technically, Emily W. from FL, and thank you very much for this very helpful review. It sounds like, and I would not have been able to tell you this prior to Katie's intro to this episode, that Pandemic Week 112 would actually be sometime in 2022. Um, Oh, boy. So really hoping that we don't have to deal with that. Uh, But... Patches, what is your I'm job? I'm just waiting for I'm waiting for Dave to to pull the plug on Pandemic Week X, but uh, maybe once one of us gets vaccinated. Yeah, is Dave? I gonna, haven't seen I, is, I haven't seen Tenet yet. I I'm haven't either. While we're waiting for Tenet is on VOD though, so it's really on us. It is. Although at, at this point, uh, even though I know that was the agreed upon rule, is that when when Tenet was available, we were waiting for it to be in theaters. This at that point, by now I think we should just wait until we're vaccinated, and then we can officially. In a way that will carry weight across the world, declare this pandemic to be over. Because everybody pan- knows the fighting in the war room pandemic. <laughs> but everybody knows that Fauci when, thinks it's coming soon. March when podcasters, coming. podcasters on a uh, podcast that does not have advertising, <laughs> should, should we declare get, it now? Is all of us vaccinated, or one of us vaccinated? All of when us. the pandemic ends, all of us. Okay, but I think that when we're all vaccinated, four podcasters who work at a podcast or work at contribute to a podcast <laughs> that does not have advertisers get. The vaccine, it is officially over. I mean, it will mean that everyone else in society has already gotten and we it need, first. And we need to set an example for people. You know, some people are scared to get the vaccine. They need to see the people they look up to the most get vaccines. And I think we can we can really help there. Yes, yeah, so we like can that. be four heroes. We're like Barack Obama. 
We're so and, brave. Uh, yeah, we're, really we're like brave. four Barack Obamas. <laughs> we're so brave that we won't get to be called the four Obamas. I think when you look at the sheer volume of episodes we've recorded, both in this iteration of our show and Operation Kino, it's hard to say that Obama's accomplishments live up to what we've done. That's but true. Um, this book may be long, but it's not as long as all of our podcasts put God, together. And that's only part one. I actually I hear it's great. I need to read it. But who has the time? I really want to read uh, A Perfect Spy now that James Lecaré has died. I'll get there. R.I.P. Um, uh, anyway, please leave us a review on iTunes. At Fighting in the War Room, we'll leave it on the show. Read it on the show. We will leave it for eternity on iTunes. Um, thank you. See you in Pandemic Week 41. Oh, boy. Hitting Pandemic Week 52 is going to suck. Yep. Do you like boats? Do you like Meryl Streep? How about let them all talk on HBO Max? I think we should start with the prom, personally. Uh, That's going to be the intro to the segment, right? Is David saying that? Sure. Yeah, probably. This is the segment. You're talking. I I think we should start with the prom because I feel like that is the... I still like it, but maybe the least worthy of discussion movie of the Meryl's two Meryl Street movies that were available for streaming last weekend. Uh, who else saw the prom? I only one. I balked. I mean, I, I wow. I'm a big musical theater person, but this era that the prom Broadway show comes from is not is not my musical theater. Like this kind of sure. You're not in pop. high school in drama club right now. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a, an era a, a generation of kids who loves like this and um dear evan uh, hansen yeah i guess it all is that kind of poppy stuff yeah i miss the prom can't get on board with the prom uh what's but michael patches. In let the me wait katie was this That's... was did you prefer ryan murphy's the prom Be to your show. actual prom Ooh, what's a fun at the prom how was your I, like, prom katie it was fun i went three times because i went with, okay. with a junior when i was a sophomore it goes whoa like, I Whoa. went. Uh, How'd that happen? Yeah. Uh, my friend invited me to be his date, and uh, he later came out as did my senior year date. Uh, so I went only with gay men, obviously. Very um, so it was a lot like the prom. Yeah, very, prom. yeah. <laughs> and, and then I didn't and, like I didn't drink at the prom ever, and like went and like had an after party at my parents' house. That's I don't know. Did anyone? Does anyone here have good prom stories? Uh, I mean, what's a good prom? I, I had a wonderful prom. I'm not particularly inclined to talk about it in public, but I ah. no, not that it was anything. Oh, it's hilarious. I actually, it, I it was more like a PG-13 uh, happy high school movie prom experience. Ooh, David but, made out with a girl at the prom. Uh, but Hopefully. it was good. It was so good that I wouldn't want to sully that memory with anything that Ryan with Murphy Ryan touched Murphy with a 20-foot pole. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, here's my quick prom story, okay? My senior prom. We decided to finally like rent a limo. We were going to try and do it in classic prom style. Wow. A bunch of my friends and my girlfriend at the time were all there waiting for it. And um, the limo called us. They broke down. The limo broke down. So we had to show up. That means it was a good limo. Friend's dad in the minivan drove us all to prom. We got dropped off at the front door of prom. It was kind of embarrassing. And then we got a call at the end of prom, like, Hey, actually we got a limo to come pick you up and to make up for it. It's a big stretch Hummer. So <laughs> outside the prom at the end of prom, there's this enormous, 
like disco light stretch Hummer, and everyone, all of like the cool kids, quote unquote, were standing there, be like, "Holy shit, what is this?" And then we get into it, and like, yeah, suckers. And That's, that was my prom. I remember the morning, <laughs> and then it took us, the uh, cool kids behind. Yeah, the morning after the the prom, I drove some friends who all slept over at my house to uh, get lunch somewhere, and on the highway, I was driving. And I felt like my car suddenly was no longer under my control. And I really, I remember thinking like, oh, that's odd. And then we all watched in silent horror as the tire, the left front tire from my car rolled out on the highway in front oh of us. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the car, it just had completely come off the car. And the car just went, ee! And we, oh uh, we uh, pulled over. My, micro- my headphones and microphone fell out of my head as I was driving, which was very alarming. Um, and, uh, and we all died. Oh, yeah. Wow. Bummer. Uh, what, what are the move? What's the movie about? Uh, is any of this better than the prom? I don't know. It's a real, your mileage may vary situation. It is this movie about a bunch of New York actors who find out there's a girl in Indiana who wants to bring her girlfriend to prom and the PTA is like, nope, can't have it. And so these, these, these actors are very, the movie is aware of how cynical they are. They're like, hey, we can get great PR if we go help this lesbian go to prom with her girlfriend. And they all descend on this Indiana town and they all have huge egos and they're all in it for themselves. And eventually they learn the power of connecting with others and doing things for other people. And James Corden plays a gay man controversially with good reason who like learns to talk to his mother who kicked him out of the house. And there's lots of singing and dancing. At the end of the movie, everyone is wearing sequins on every item of clothing that they have on, including like Kerry Washington, who's been the bad guy the whole time. Um, and if that doesn't sound appealing to you, you probably don't want to see the prom. But if you ever like watched the early seasons of Glee, and I think I watched the first season of Glee, and like saw like some of the better musical numbers, like of hop song covers, and we're like, wow, okay, that could be a fun musical. Watch the prom. Like it is basically the, the highlights of Glee. Of Glee is so- pretty great. Yeah. Like, like, can I just it's- before we move on from James Corden entirely, uh, whose performance in the prom I have no informed opinion on. I just want to say that his one-two punch of this and super intelligence is really a uh, right. fall for the ages. <laughs> I thought you were going to bring up cats, man. No, uh, I mean, and add cats to that year. roster. And I'm someone who, like, intrinsically does not seem to find James Corden as unlikable as so many I other people. Either. I don't either. I don't either. He seems funny. He seems kind of, he seems fun. You know, one man, Jolly. two governors, can't hate. Uh, you know, the the carpool karaoke he did with Paul McCartney made me cry. <laughs> um, you oh, know, yeah. No, what what can you, you do? Uh, no, I like James yeah. Corden. The role he's playing in this, if he had done this 15 years ago, 10 years ago, probably, like, it like it, it would not have been a big deal. But I think there's a good argument that, like, this specific gay character he's playing is kind of like a big theatrical Broadway star like think nathan lane basically like it just there's not really a great argument for why he had to do it like he's very good in it i think he's a good singer netflix would not have funded this movie without him yeah yeah you see him dancing alongside nicole kim and meryl streep you're like what like how you didn't have to be in this um so yeah i felt like i didn't mind him in it but i'm not going to argue against anybody who like doesn't like it which is kind of how i feel about the prom in general i do think ariana debose who's going to be anita in spielberg's west side story which you know god knows how that's going to turn out but she is good she's as the girlfriend of the girl who's trying to take her to prom um like go watch 10 minutes of it watch the musical numbers if you are intrigued at all watch the rest if not i'm not going to hold it again can we all sing in unison the prom song from the end of not another teen movie called prom tonight no, we cannot. Prom uh, tonight. Yeah. Do, 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 do. No. 
thanks. Uh, the reason we want to talk about the prom, though, is like Meryl Streep is in this, and Meryl Streep just continues to do movies like this. I think she seems to. I, what is Meryl's? What is Meryl's current career path in life? What is your grand Meryl theory based on the prom and her other new movie that's out right now? Let them all talk. The Soderbergh movie we were just talking about. I mean, she's kind of doing whatever she wants, right? Like, I assume, like, obviously, she likes singing and dancing. Like, you know, you watch Death Becomes Her, and there's like a big goofy musical number at the beginning of that that is really funny. And in like, unlike the prom, is like intentionally bad. She's not the best singer in the world, and like a lot of times she plays with the strings. The prom is kind of weird in that it's like pretending she's like a, a Patty Lapone, and you're like, I'm not, not quite there um but i like her in the prom i think she's funny in it as this like giant self-obsessed diva and then so she said she'd do the prom to be in a musical and then she said she'd go on a boat with steven soderbergh i don't know do you think there's a great theory i think that it's funny i i I think meryl streep is self-aware enough to know that she's not the world's best singer and the fact that she continues to put herself in situations where she's singing on screen it's not just this and uh uh mama death mia. becomes her all those the time ago you know it's it's oh Ma- yeah, yeah 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 the mama mia's it's into the uh, woods it's in the woods which uh, i think also has james corden and i also never saw it never will uh wow. oh, uh, come on uh, that movie's good but, that movie's good i, I, I mean, right. no i mean it's just i'm stating a fact have you seen i never GIF? saw it and i never will have you seen the gif of chris pine ripping his shirt off in a nope. waterfall and wow. uh meryl can keep and, up with this the sondheim and the, the the money reference here that I'm getting to is um, Mama 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 Poppins Mama. returns Mary Poppins returns. <laughs> Mama Poppins. Um, but I think that oh, yeah. she must know May-mop. where she falls in her May-mop. ability as a singer, and that she's not surrounded by yes people who are blowing her up to think that she actually is Patty Lapone. And I think like for someone so unassailable who might be a little bit sick of their own reputation as being the greatest actress alive, to mm-hmm. so giddily participate in something that she knows she's second rate at might be uh like a wow like a a catharsis like a thing that she enjoys doing for that reason i mean i if someone cast me in a musical despite my like minimal singing talent i would absolutely do it for the exact same reason just be like sure this also means she has to train it also means she has to immerse herself she has to learn the music like you can't just show up I mean, what was I listening to? God, someone was just telling a story about doing a movie with with Meryl and she will like just sit there and read a book or and then she'll walk on set and she'll do it. She just does it. And I don't think you can do that in a in a big musical production like this. You have to learn the music. You have to and choreography and stuff like that. So I'm sure there is something to that theory. That's that's a great one. Let them all talk. It's slightly different. She sits around on a boat (laughs) um, looking mopey and figuring out other women um it's a totally different movie what did okay, you, but guys, let's, did you guys let's like let's the big wait hold on let's let's just the big hook of this movie the big gimmick around why it exists and of let them all does. talk yes. yes uh is that steven soderbergh um and uh, gregory jacobs aka the godhead of magic mike xxl flawless masterpiece uh decided they wanted to make a movie on a cruise ship and the way they went about doing that is to actually film it on the queen mary 2 as it made a crossing uh, from New York to London uh, with 2,600 passengers aboard who, as one of the activities on the cruise ship, could choose to sign up to be extras in this movie. Um, and so like while they were on board... It sounds horrible. Set... It does sound kind of horrible. Everything about being on a cruise ship sounds horrible, although I have to say... I have don't you know ever if been I've on ever a cruise? Seen... God, no. It seems like hell. It's guaranteed diarrhea or worse, or no. it sinks movie... and you die. But Did this movie not make you want to go on a cruise, This is the only though? thing I've ever seen that made me kind of want to go on a cruise. I, I was wondering if this was SpawnCon on some level. If, uh, I mean, it, it absolutely you said is. Soder, Soderbergh went to them. 
Uh-huh. Well, yeah, but it doesn't mean it's not SpawnCon. But uh, I don't think they paid him to do it. I think he got to film on their boat. I mean, and, everyone like, got to take a free trip. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not not advertising for yeah. uh, Cunard sure. or the name of the company is. But he anyway. was very nice to them as a part of being able to film right. on their boat. And novelist Deborah Eisenberg wrote. Uh, like a scriptment for the movie, which and she was on set to sort of supervise the improvisation that uh, most of the movie takes its dialogue from. And Meryl Streep is a writer, and she is going on, and she brings. Uh, I mean, it actually gets pretty complicated pretty fast, but you really just need to know she's on the boat. Uh, they had seven days to shoot it. She's there with her friends, who are played by Candace Bergen and uh, Diane West. Oh my Weist, god! And Candace they have. Bergen. Very, very good. And they have all this old beef between them and her nephew, uh, Miss Lucas Hedges, is there. And uh, Gemma Chan, who's her agent, is there. there. on why Lucas Hedges is there, other than that, like, his aunt likes him. I guess yeah. that's enough reason. And there are all sorts of shenanigans, and it's it's sort of like a, a screwball comedy with all of the air sucked out into its, like, very uh, post-retirement Soderbergh pacing and by even pre-retirement it's like post 2000 Soderbergh inertia um and it's uh it's fun but it's really I mean my whole shtick and then I'll pass it on is is my whole thing about it was that um if you go back to that New York Times profile of David Fincher there's Soderbergh talking about watching Panic Room with him and how like he couldn't imagine living the way that David Fincher does with that that eye for detail and the perfectionism and, and not mm. just making things for making it sick and this is very much a movie about the pratfalls of Perfection, perfectionism and about why it can be, um, to Soderbergh's eye anyway, mm. more of a hindrance than anything else and need to sort of live in the moment as imperfect as it might be. Um, I, while anyone who's seen any of my work could tell you that it is uh, not living up to the standards of a perfectionist, certainly that's the way my mind works um, and that I will fuss over things that do not, do not deserve to be fussed about rather than just going forward and making something and doing a Joe Swanberg or whatever the film critic equivalent would be. Um, and so I don't, I, I tend to think that a movie. Like, I, think, I think it's a podcast. Yeah, it okay. is. This oh, is the Joe Swanberg. Okay. <laughs> I tend to think that a movie so we like with this. On. Well, you do, but I tend to. I do this with my video <laughs> off for a reason. But I tend to think that a movie like this would have been better, more my, more to my taste, a little bit more thorough. Its ideas more fleshed out if it had been a little bit more particular um, and sketched out. But uh, that's not what Soderbergh's all about, and uh, you know, it's enjoyable for what it is. Patches, I, you should go. Yeah, no, I had I had a ball with this movie. It was just really a pleasure to to go on the ride, even as Candace Bergen and Di- I mean, it's a very stressful movie too because none of them are being straightforward with each other. They're all talking behind each other's backs and wondering why they hate each other or what went wrong. And um, and and the, yeah, as you said, there's a lot of screwball energy with it too. It's it's it has that bounce in its step that Soderbergh puts into Ocean's movies and. Uh, old ladies hanging out on a cruise ship, like it all. I, I feel like Thomas Newman's score is kind of doing the ocean score for the cruise ship sect. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I really dug it. It doesn't seem to be getting much praise from our uh, our colleagues. It, really, or, or it like, isn't. I think yeah. it has its adamant defenders. It, you have uh, it seems Maureen to be written Scafaria off as minor. There talking about how much she loved it, and she's not the only filmmaker I've seen do that. It does seem to resonate with that crowd. Um, I think, you know, Richard Lawson put it on his top 10 list of the year. He did indeed. Um, yeah, I mean, there are people. 
I just, I feel like that spring in the step you're talking about is what I actually wanted in it. Like it has some of it. There are glimmers of it. Like there's literally a scene where like two people who like, who like turn a corner and are caught by someone who they're not supposed to be seen by. But like, it doesn't ever like take sail in that, <laughs> take sail. Well, it doesn't um, have sails. It, it just, it doesn't like pick up the energy in that way, in a way that you know Soderbergh can do. And like, he has everything he needs to do it. And that's obviously not the movie he was trying to make. And it ends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to spoil the ending, but like the ending I felt was like really the most baffling part. I didn't the ending is really <laughs> weird. We don't, we shouldn't spoil it. I could it, not it's... figure out what, why it was leaving me there. Uh, the very last shot. Um, but yeah, like you, and you get scenes like, like Gemma Chan kind of telling Lucas how he does her whole backstory and it's like beautiful and heartbreaking. And like, there's these moments of like really deep connection and like Meryl Streep's character giving a reading on the boat and like you see these flashes in it, but then it kind of like meanders off and I like the Gemma Chan, Lucas Lucas Hedges stuff just because it felt more crafted. I mean, that, that it's so clear what his objective is and the emotions at play there are so much more facile and and lucid than they are in the other subplots. And for that reason, I think it kind of hangs together a little bit more. And also, you know, those are both good actors and Lucas Hedges is having a lot of fun on his second, uh, you know, horny teenager on a boat movie i've seen in the last couple of months that's crazy yeah. I think, I think the fact that like, or not teenager, he's in his 20s. French exit. Oh, okay. Most of Um, us haven't seen that. But you, you will. You will. You have to say. I mean, it is eerily similar, in, at least in the cruise ship parts of it. I just feel like, like if everyone had had clear objectives, like you were saying, Dave, saying David, like some of that improvisation could have gotten places. Like it's in some ways, like Candace Bergen's there to like confront Meryl Streep, and Diane Weiss is there to like get away from her job. I need I more really weiss. I definitely need a more like, weiss in the movie. The yeah, and like Mar- and like Meryl's character is like trying to finish a book, but you don't really know if she wants to or how she feels about the book that she's trying to finish. And like you don't know why she's invited all these women on the boat for a long time. Like there's this kind of they're interesting characters and they're interesting actors, but like you're not watching them bang into each other because you don't totally know what the stakes are the whole time. But this is, the, I mean, let them all talk. They they can't. They can't communicate with each other. This is the. But like, but I wish I as the audience knew what what they were trying to communicate or like yeah. what they what they wanted. But even isn't if they it clear, can't like, say Candace it Bergen wants money and wants a what does life? Diane Weist want? I don't know. I think it's kind of a movie to about... win Monopoly and then to win um, <laughs> a fellow I mean, or whatever they play. To go back to the Soderbergh feature dynamic, I think oh, of Patches versus Beckhamman. I think that it's kind of about the in unintended effects that art can have and how that's sort of ultimately yes. the real power of the art that we make. It's not in the fussiness and the labor that we put over it and the exact message that we hope to impart and. And someone like Fincher, you know, making sure that there isn't a single digital artifact in any of the frames, whatever the case might be. Um, it's it's in the unintended consequences of it and the way that it shapes people's lives, you know, for better or worse, without our um, without our knowledge. And that's how you see the book that Meryl Streep's character wrote as a younger author sort of uh, shape the lives of well, certainly Candace Bergen's character. And I don't really remember what was happening with Diane Weiss' character, but I guess her to a lesser <laughs> extent. And uh, it's been a lot of movies in a long time in the three weeks since I've seen this movie. Um, but yeah, and like that's sort of what it's, it was about to me, but that never really coalesces into anything sharper. No. no. But I want to go on that boat. I mean, there's a whole like no more masterpieces idea behind what Soderbergh's doing these days where it's like his whole thing. And, and this movie, I think that idea resonates with this movie very literally. Um, yeah. And and he uh, that's great for him. You know, it allows him. To it's also great as an audience member. It's nice to be in like a unpressurized 
viewing experience. Like, let's just go on a boat and see what happens. Sure, and he's like, going to continue to make these movies that are smaller and sort of genre e in some way with identifiable movie stars people want to see and that no one else is really making and it's great i I would just love for one of them to feel like more than a line drive well isn't um, he also gonna, gonna make like another season of the nick or a movie of well, the nick that's gonna be that, like crazy that elaborate been, period piece that had been passed down to barry jenkins last i heard um oh. but uh which you know lion king yeah i mean that guy's got a lot on his plate i think it was barry jenkins but the um uh you know i i did love uh high flying bird which was another one of these lightning in a bottle Soderbergh attempts that that sort of leaned into its limitations was shot on an iPhone. And that was the rare one, the sort of the exception that proved the rule for me for his like post-retirement movies that really connected. But can I point out before we end that the fake names and book titles in this movie are flawless, uh, including the poet who Meryl Shea was insisting they all go visit this like obscure Welsh poet named Blodwin Pugh yes. and her book called You Always, You Never. And the name of the, 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 the like, um, Tom Clancy knockoff guy. He's um, so good. What's his? What's yeah, his he's he like a director. Good. What? what yeah, was the he's, he directs name? like he, a, he directed like Sex in the City episodes in real life, and he's just like one yeah. of Soderbergh's friends. I was about to but, say, you yeah, know, just great. from his first appearance, that this guy is like a Glenn Kenny type that Soderbergh is mm-hmm. just pals yeah, with. Yeah, he's a real getting... person. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, Glenn yeah. Kenny snubbed in this one. Truly, <laughs> didn't get to go on that boat. Put Glenn on the boat. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> uh, let them talk is on HBO Max now, I guess we should say, and the problems on Netflix. Watch it at home. Oh shit! Get your towels ready, it's about to go down. Everybody in the place hit the fucking deck. But stay on your motherfucking toes. We running this, let's go. I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. So last week, Disney did what was billed as an investor's call, but what actually played more like I think a um, network upfronts would be like, which is where uh, networks sell their ads to advertisers. But why would you know what that's like? You're a podcast listener. Chances are you aren't actually doing that. Uh, So I guess the closest thing would be like a DC fandom or a long Comic-Con presentation. But basically, Disney just laid out uh, all of its plans for Disney Plus uh, and successfully, I think, doubled the price of their stock for a period of time. Um, uh, You know, sort of making the hype train worth it uh, during these COVID times. Worth it for... Disney. Okay. For people who invest. They did this... They did this after a round of like thousands, tens of thousands of layoffs. So yes. they could have probably avoided that if they wanted to, but they didn't. Then, Wait, you think they so could have instead... avoided the layoffs? Yes. Interesting. By raising their stock price for like a couple days? Nobody cares about people. They just care about stock prices and their shareholders. That is the way of it. But my question to you is why, uh, as infuriating as all of that is, why, yeah. if it was so obvious to all of us uh, last Wednesday, as it was, that Disney was going to have this bonanza of announcements on Thursday and their stock price was, was going to go up. It was, it was, I mean, I barely pay attention to this stuff and it was obvious to me from the chatter I'd seen that they were about to announce a whole mess of stuff. I mean, it was already coming out that they were going to announce that Black Widow was definitely staying in theaters and so forth. They didn't uh, announce well, that. And I was like, why, here's... but why didn't I just go, yeah. other than the fact that I, 
I don't know what Disney stock costs, but probably could afford like two shares. <laughs> like, why am I not incredibly rich and rich enough to have bought a zillion shares of Disney on Wednesday and why then sold you? on Friday? Why not? It just seems so I obvious. Mean, I don't think that's how it works. Yeah. But... It's not I how mean, it works? It's definitely how it works. You just have to be rich enough to, you know, and put enough skin in the game to make money. <laughs> get it in, get it out. Anyway... The important thing is this is Disney who had previously uh, said they were going to shift to a more streaming forward model. And we had been debating what that meant. I think now we got to see what it meant, which is uh, some of their uh, remakes or live action remakes or uh, spinoffs of like traditional Disney characters um, will now be going to Disney Plus, um, whereas um, their movie content uh, for Pixar and Lucasfilm and Marvel and Disney itself uh, will sort of be mixed between sort of Disney Plus offerings and uh, film offerings. Uh, but it was a ton of content. I think the only thing that surprised me about it is, David, I'd heard some of the rumblings that you had about like stuff that was going to be announced. This is like the only time since I've been like reporting on geeky things that everything I had even heard a whisper about being in development was actually announced. Mm. So it's like, it's not like, oh, you know, Disney's going to you know finally tell people they're working on the Mandalorian season three or something, but it's literally like all these star Wars series. <laughs> they didn't even bother with that. Just, they didn't even yeah. say that. No, no, that was just, that happened to be a, like a background uh, yeah. graphic in the gigantic I, I think people took that for granted that, uh, yeah. Grogu returns or whatever. Yeah. And, but like the idea that there's like now going to be a ton more Star Wars series and uh, they announced the new Star Wars movie is going to be by Patty Jenkins and released in 2023 and, uh, will be Star Wars Rogue Squadron, which was exciting. Uh, why is that, what is that and why is it exciting? It's uh has uh, X wings in it, Katie. There, it's okay. gonna be like Top like Gun. It's like Top Gun, Space but Top with X wings. So it's gonna be like set yeah. during the Empire Age thing. Nobody knows, and we won't know yes, for uh like a year probably because they're just at the treatment phase. But it is her, and at some point in the next three or four weeks, we'll get to know who the writer is. Uh, but that's all we know for now. We don't could know be somebody set. on this podcast. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no spoilers. No spoilers. I signed an NDA. Uh, yeah, what and then you know, out? that'd be awesome. What if one of us was writing a Marvel movie? Oh yeah. The, what if one of us was writing a Marvel? Well, I, finally, I just, I just I, learned I, that uh, I negged Disney into hiring me after all these years. <laughs> Rel- relevant factoid here, but Nia DaCosta, who is, did Candyman and is going to direct Captain Marvel two, used to do trivia at Videology. I did know that. Like at our. At, in our era, so yeah. you, you mean we, uh, fellow The Last of Us stand near the Costa? That near oh, the Costa? Stop, stop. That's um, unfortunate for her. Uh, well, Marvel was fun in that. All of us. They didn't announce anything that necessarily they hadn't said uh, a lot or what? hinted at before. Things like, what? Go ahead, Fantastic Four. I, I think like maybe Fantastic Four was the the like big push but we they heard had, about moon Knight. they hadn't announced that it would be directed by the least exciting person who could possibly helm that project who's directing fantastic four john watts john watts yeah. oh okay well uh, they didn't an- they announced a bunch of new shows armor wars iron heart mm-hmm. you're just oh, saying I mean, words oh, together <laughs> i don't know what any of that means can we talk about the zach efron three men and a baby again? yeah seriously let's get serious that didn't here. really come up but that was not let's a big part of it get also we knew about I mean, that wait but this is a mini segment so let's wait we knew about that yeah, we did. 
I knew about like the Mighty Duck series. I know. I knew about the Mighty Duck series, but I did not know about this. Um, but I think, and, and Dave, who I know, you know, despite his, his knowledge of this arena, isn't necessarily, you know, like a overzealous all the time. He's very critical about these things. I, I think even he could appreciate just how fucking bleak it was to watch this happen. I mean, there was, it was, you know, the entire internet hanging on a investor's call um, for three hours, which and then they paused. I thought Patrick was joking, but four hours, but they paused in the middle for a happy Hanukkah message. Yes, it was a happy Hanukkah music <laughs> video. No, it was a full um, music video, not uh-huh. just a message. Uh, That's right. But That's that, really and funny. that there wasn't a single, it seemed to me, I mean, unless I'm missing something, there wasn't a, I mean, actually, the, the, like some of the, maybe some of the Pixar projects, like the Pixar Call Me By Your Name that they're doing, <laughs> and some of that stuff was original. But for the most part, it was all just regurgitating uh, old legacy content for hours upon hours upon hours. And I just like felt my love of entertainment. I mean, I guess it depends. I've been thinking a lot about this. It depends if you think it's regurgitating or if. IP if 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 properties like Star Wars and Marvel have just become genres of their own in some ways like I don't know is it that different than having like 14 different western TV shows on in the 1950s is it different than all in the family We're going getting back to that argument. seven spin-offs I mean I am going back to that argument because I find that argument to be sound I I don't think well, anyone's put it- holes in the argument I mean, I, I think there were always holes in that argument, but even more so now that, you know, this is dictating the shape of the business and the venues in which that business happens. And, and with so many of the Disney franchises officially migrating onto their streaming platforms to drum up, you know, the subscriber numbers there, it's going to have a massive effect on the business so that there won't be venues or as many venues or as many opportunities for other films to exist and to open and to play theatrically. And so um, I think it has a much bigger impact. And yeah, you've made the, the, the opposite argument, I feel like, last week when we were talking, or two weeks ago when we were talking about movie theaters. I, I, I'm not, I don't think this is on Disney. Disney is going to be Disney forever, and they're just doing it in a hardcore way. But like, well, this is, everything this else is doesn't just, go away. This is just it's like smart uh, is strategy to respond to what they learned from A, Mulan, and B, The Mandalorian in terms of subscribers, which is they might, they'll go to theaters to watch something new. That's what Pixar movies, you know, can do eventually when we get to theaters. But if they're always, Disney's big thing is that it's built its own IP, and then when its own IP stopped being valuable, it bought up all the other IP. So, like, this is what they think are going to drive people to Disney Plus, and it will. Like, David, you'll watch more, you know, Forky asks a question before you watch a Toy Story 5 in theaters, right? I, I mean, like, chronologically? Well, to be fair, <laughs> oh, Dave, no, no. David will not be watching a Toy Story 5 in theaters. He'll be watching Lightyear, the story yeah, of the geez. real... Of the real Buzz Lightyear, not the, the real the, Buzz the toys Lightyear. Based on one based on the real guy. I mean, I think we all know I will be seeing Lightyear in theaters, so I'll report back for you guys. <laughs> um, I... I, I, I don't know if I follow anything that we just were talking about. I, um... I'm not worried. I'm not worried, David, about what you're talking about, about it not making as much room because this has always been the Disney room. Like you weren't going to have 
crazy. Like it's kind of crazy that Noah Hawley is getting an FX Alien series Ugh. as part of this announcement. Because okay, I would have said that's like off brand. Slow, slow your roll. So I mean, I, I don't know why we're doing this as a mini because we could talk about this uh, until we all die, which is exactly what Disney wants. But the um, the Alien series was such a roller coaster. The Alien announcement because you know. Let's start with, of course, the one true act of justice would be to let Ridley Scott finish his immortal Alien prequel trilogy, give Covenant the sequel it deserves, and people demand and voted for and sent to the Electoral College. Two, the idea of an Alien, the Alien franchise continuing, and with someone like Noah Hawley, who is hit or miss in my book, is kind of exciting, but then the plunge of the announcement that it's going to be set on Earth, the most boring of all the planets, is uh, spectacularly Maybe it'll be set on Earth in the far, far future, where it doesn't seem like Earth anymore. Or you don't maybe seem the, like Earth in anymore. In the far, far past, where the uh, what are those guys called? Not the architects. What are the engineers? The engineers show oh my up. God. Maybe that's what it will take. Did place. you not go to school or something? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rudimentary American education. Such an idiot. The engineers. Idiot. God damn it! I love Covenant. You talk? I think this is I think this is all good news if you could divorce it from this is what like theaters and stuff are doing. But it's even, not. It's even like, in our day and age, Dave, in our yeah. lifetimes, in our David golden keeps childhood, this is a mini segment and it's going to go on and on. But he keeps yeah, yeah, listen, go ahead, go ahead. Listen, Tom don't worry. Hardy segment voice, three will be shorter than you think because yeah. uh, yeah, we'll Tom see. Hardy voice that's bait. Okay, but like the the in our childhoods. We okay. had original content for Disney that was exciting. That like was the what? things what is, remember. What's coming to mind when you say that? Like the oh original iterations, exactly, of any of the things that Disney is now trying to reboot, like the Mighty Fucking Ducks. And like these are things that we sort of took for granted would exist. And it bums me out that uh, that our kids won't get the same opportunities. They're going to have to deal with like fucking third hand Toy Story movies, a franchise that I was bored of in my own time. I mean, maybe, but in a world where the Air Buddies already exist, I'd rather more fucking Pixar stuff. So bring it. Um, uh, anyway, uh, onward. And that, no, that was the that? Pixar. Yeah, Pixar that, yes. <laughs> that was the Pixar movie that came out this year. Uh, let's all look forward to. Still haven't uh, watched that one, actually. I haven't either. Pixar's Luca. If there's a kids movie that I can't get my kids to watch, I'm never going to watch it. Like I will say, just to close yeah. the segment, that I have started uh, playing against my better interest, Disney's Sorcerer's Arena, which is another one of those addictive battle <laughs> games. How and can I'm... you sit here and complain about the Disney juggernaut and then play all the mobile games? I, I can play, that. first of all, what I do on the toilet he is none of your business. He contains multitudes. Second of all, uh, I am well, you'll be dedicated able to watch... my life. Rangers, Rangers of the New Republic on the toilet too. <laughs> I've dedicated my life to earning enough shards <laughs> to collect <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the dad, the dad, <laughs> the dad from Onward, <laughs> which is just a pair of pants, <laughs> and fighting with him in the arena. Wow! Oh, is this that- is all building to. Like David playing Kingdom Hearts all the way through. Never. Oh, wow. Never. Do you have a place?
So last week at a website called VanityFair.com for the section I edit, I gathered together our writers to write little tributes to what actually went right in 2020. Uh, and I wanted to be very clear with the parameters that it's not like I learned to make sourdough or like I spent time with my kids. Like it's not an impersonal accomplishment. It's not about finding the silver lining of a pandemic. It's like a way in which culture moved forward or something objectively good happened, either as a result of the pandemic or like entirely separate from it. One of the examples was this tiny little little cute mammal discovered in Australia that like flies at night and has giant ears and cute eyes and like scientists discovered that this year good for them the pandemic couldn't hold them back um and I wanted us to, I don't know, to talk about our own versions of it and I guess it can be about movies and television or it can be separate from it I mean the example that I started the whole thing off was Parasite winning best picture which feels like it's been discussed oh, ad nauseum but I feel like really needs to be acknowledged a that it happened in 2020 and b that it was great and is still great and is not affected by all the awfulness that has come since then. Um, so I don't know what, what else has happened that is not just like making the most of a bad situation, but like feels like a real net gain for the world this year. Ooh, not making the most of a bad situation versus true positivity is a very, very hard distinction. It's, I was, it's th- tough. I was thinking about like Rudy Giuliani. Wait, I've got, I've got one. <laughs> no, it's not about schadenfreude. It's, it's Wait, about I... like, Right, right, right. Go, go for it, David. Can, wait, hold on, hold on. Just as a, can, can making, you just said that it's not about making the best of a bad situation, but what if those examples are some of the most encouraging and optimistic sure. things yeah, I mean, in the if, arts? I think if it's world, something that, whatever. like, yeah, throw your example out and I'll, I'll rule it eligible or ineligible. Uh, well, one of the things, two things. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, let's start small, okay? I'm sure the segment will end with people talking about these, like, global goods and saintly acts. But let's talk about Gerard Butler. Um, <laughs> because uh, one of, in a year full of awful surprises, it is uh, a year so bleak that what I'm about to say legitimately qualifies as a silver lining. It's a nice twist that one of the last big reveals of 2020, hopefully, is that one of the best films about what it felt like to live through 2020, at least one of the best new films, was made by, of all people, the creative team behind Angel Has Fallen. And I'm talking, mm-hmm. of course, about Greenland. <laughs> um, which My boy, is, Rick uh, Roman Wog. <laughs> Rick, Rick, Rick Roman Wog. Uh, He's the man. And what's impressive about Greenland, which is, you know, it, it feels like we sort of collectively got over disaster movies, maybe because... We'd seen them all and maybe run out of disasters and maybe because the world around us, you know, we, we all have windows and televisions and the need for paying money for a disaster movie no longer really seemed particularly appetizing. But Greenland is, uh, as much as I was dreading watching it, kind of interesting because here's a disaster movie that was made for $34 million as opposed to $150 million. Um, and because of those constraints, it is by necessity focused on a much smaller human story. It's a disaster movie about a comet that just appears in our solar system that may have zapped from somewhere else and uh, is hurtling towards Earth. And uh, Gerard Butler plays a, like an everyman um, and his kid has diabetes and he's separated from his wife who's played by Marina Baccarin. And um, and what's her name? Is that right? The dead... The, Marine, yeah. Monica Marina? Yeah. Monica. Uh, Monica. Monica. What? No, Monica. I think it's Marina. No. Monica, I think it's whatever. Marina Baccarin. No. Whatever. <laughs> whatever it is. I like Marina her as an actress. Marina Baccarin. No, dis- no disrespect, man. Um, Ma- Mima. Mima. <laughs> anyway, everyone is kind of like 
laugh. It, it thinks that the comet is just going to break up in the atmosphere and make a cool light show that you're able to render cheaply in FX because everything is in the distant background. And uh, it turns out, as we see, when a chunk misses the ocean where it's expected to land and hits uh, Tampa Bay and causes millions of deaths, then shockwaves that stretch 1,500 miles in every direction, that this is going to be a little bit more serious than that, and that an extinction-level event size uh, shard of the comment is going to hit Earth in 48 hours. And it's all just about this regular family scrambling around the United States, trying to stay together um, and make it to Greenland where there are rumors of uh, a bunker of some kind. That element of it is kind of silly, but it, this is a movie that really, uh, I'm mentioning it because it's coming out this Friday on VOD, but it really, um, in its own bone-dumb Gerard Butler movie kind of way, captured a lot of the anxiety and the vulnerability that we, and the helplessness that I think we all feel in the wake of the disasters that we have all survived at this point anyway, this so far, uh, in much the same way as something like Cloverfield or um, Deep Impact or, you know, the classics of the form uh, have mm-hmm. made you do. But I, I think now that we are all so acutely in tune with being able to smell out what's bullshit and what's not surrounding how these kind of events may make you feel and a slow moving pandemic like this, maybe, you know, coupled with an autocracy in the United States. I don't know if that's the same as a extinction level event or Ellie as anyone who's uh, seen deep impact would be. Oh yeah. Is the president having an affair with someone named Ellie? Uh, he, hey, Leone's on the case. The, the president <laughs> is uh, a wall in Greenland that does not come up, but uh, although it is very much about government intervention, um, the but yeah, it was uh, it, it was kind of harrowing in its way, which is not you know I remember like 2012, which is just like eye crossing you know special effects nonsense on top of junk, um, but this was kind of a pleasant surprise. I gotta say, Rick and Roman kind of Wong can get can like wring some emotion out of these premises. I, I remember uh, mm. seeing Snitch. Did anyone see okay. Dwayne Johnson in Snitch? Nope. That uh, movie where his his son gets arrested. He gets snitched. Uh, and then he has to, yeah, what, what, he gets a, one of a, like a minimum sentence for getting caught with drugs. And uh, The Rock has to go down there with, to the like uh, drug rings past the Mexican border and then bust some people up. It's actually pretty emotional. Like it has to do with his son getting sentenced to prison. It's it's heavy. And then Angel has fallen, which was the third movie in the Has Fallen series, and there's they're making a fourth. Uh, was was just like so fucking dreadful. And uh, no, it wasn't. It, it, it was really good. Was. No, it was no, it was absolutely god awful. And it patches crazy. But the uh, this. This movie, you know, I mean, it it, it works, and uh, it, you know, all the characters are dry archetypes, and uh, there's definitely room for it to be more moving. But I think in broad strokes, it's really effective. And the other thing in the arts, before I just pass this off, is of course our queen, the one and only Miss Taylor Swift, who uh, mm-hmm. has one upped herself in a way. Although you know, you could argue folklore is. Slightly better than Evermore. Maybe that's just a recency effect thing. Um, or the opposite of that. Whatever. Uh, making her second surprise release album of the year. Phenomenal. Another bomb in all of this darkness. Uh, yeah, she has really made the most of a bad situation, but like in a way beyond like that you do when you're an artist where she's just like got free from her uh, you know, contract with not Scooter Braun with whoever she had a contract with. She's like making on it on her own. She's like out of her gossip cycle. And she just like made two banger albums from her cottage, wherever. And so like 
intricately written, such beautiful music, um, you know, a lot of talk about it, her sort of downshifting into the indie vibe, but whatever you want to call it, and however you want to minimize it, it, it works for me. The instrumentation is wonderful. The songs are catchy as hell. She's an absolutely brilliant songwriter, and I think she, with every subsequent album, makes it more and more uh, difficult for the cynics out there to deny her talent. And it's capping off a year that, for me, most interestingly, started with Oh, what is endured as yeah, one of my favorite documentaries of the year. Just so much talk about Miss Americana. Miss Americana. Did I talk about this last week? I feel like you talked about it every episode. I talked about it. I just it. saw it for the first time like two oh, weeks ago. It's great, Katie, right? It's great. Uh, yeah, but it's also like, and now we started this trend of, of um, or, you know, expedited this, this trend of uh, pop star documentaries. There's another one coming out on Netflix about Ariana Grande next week. Uh, there was a Shawn Mendes one last week or two weeks ago. Uh, but I and I haven't seen those two, but and the Billie Eilish one coming next year from Apple. But I think the the Taylor Swift one is just so interesting because of how relatable it is about being a person on the internet and the approval that we seek. And uh, um, I was thinking about it in context of well, I can't talk about it on the podcast. There are things anyway. It's it's a fascinating documentary and one that it's well worth seeing. And she for me has been a bright spot this year, uh, and I'm not afraid to say it. Unlike you yeah. cowards. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Patches, what went right you, for your culture? David, are you releasing a surprise album soon? Is that what you can't talk about? Or what? Uh, Patches, yeah, no, you may be surprised if with I announced it. In this That's true. Oh, wait. You're, he, yeah, you're... He, he is actually Bon Iver, it turns out, oh, this whole wow. time. <laughs> David loves Bon Iver. We spent a whole tiff singing Bon Iver together in our um, <laughs> can you please sing it Bon how do you how do I you just, sing Bon Iver like there's I like just want to correct bon for the record that, that, that uh, regardless of my feelings about Bon Iver <laughs> a big fan of his first album iffy on there I, I love his uh, his songs on the Taylor Swift records but uh, what Patches is referring to is the Sundance where he and Jordan tormented me it was actually Toronto I think it was Toronto wasn't yeah. it yeah because they played Bunny Bear in The Judge which is a movie I did not see um, <laughs> and uh, he like I would come into the hotel wherever the fuck we were and they would just be playing it at all hours of the day and singing at each other to me which, which song was it you know, Holocene, Holocene, is that right? Or yes, what? yeah, from the, the second album. Um, How does it go? I'm trying to remember. Um, I don't know. You're the one who's been singing. It. So this is Holocene. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, jealousy. Uh, anyway, someone else. Talk about why Taylor Swift is important to you. Oh, it's like, I could see for miles and so miles. Yes. I can see for miles and miles. Anyway, what was good? Um, what what actually went right? In 2020, um, I don't want I don't want to sound too much like uh, Steve Buscemi wearing a backwards hat, being "Hello, fellow kids." But um, TikTok? Are you gonna say TikTok? I'm gonna say TikTok. Yeah. Because, <laughs> there's a lot of TikTok things that I have. I sit around bringing back to memory without actually looking at the TikTok videos, and they make me smile and they make me happy. Whether they're people guessing what paint color is going to come out from a paint mixer, uh, <laughs> have you seen those videos? Do you know didn't what I'm that kid about? get? Didn't that kid get fired that for one, yeah? One kid it? did that, but there's a whole streak of those videos. So hopefully, the rest of those people didn't get fired. But yes, trying to guess the paint um, to what is the most must be one of the most viral things that has happened in 2020, which are these four moms. Has anyone seen the four moms TikTok videos? Um, no. To briefly explain, uh, <laughs> what's the point of briefly explaining a TikTok video? Uh, basically, this Ali and AJ song, potential breakup song, it's playing 
for four moms to lip sync to, and the moms are the most basic ass ladies you've ever seen in your entire life, and they are not mocked. They're love, they're beloved on TikTok for just being like. I don't know, a real housewife, cookie cutter. Who, uh, they're so basic. These women are so basic. At least How basic are they? They're so basic <laughs> that everybody on TikTok has found ways to basically mat like what what uh coffee mug would they be holding or like what shampoo did they use? You can basically match them. They're like a BuzzFeed quiz come to life these four women. Um and they've been remixed and redubbed into everything. It is just so pure, so sublime. I don't know how you find specific things on tiktok but you could go and search for like the tiktok moms <laughs> are a thing and they have now brought you me do so, so like much joy like i'm gonna recommend this thing i don't know how to properly uh, use. I, I don't know how to find it anymore I don't. <laughs> i'm so lost but does I it disappear after 24 hours like an instagram story uh no it does not come Wait, on what, what happened to fleets fleets are around man did, fleets? did fleets go away i never got fleets. No, fleets are right at the top of your your Twitter feed. Fleets is not one of the things that actually went right in 2020. Patches, I, I got to tell you, my friend, I never got Fleets. You're not on Fleet? I think most people I follow have stopped using Fleets because, like, when I look, there's, like, six people who have done a Fleet. One of them Netflix, being the official Twitter tip. account is all over. The, the, the br- oh, it's wow. really for the brands. It's for the brands. Well, I don't follow them. I don't Netflix know. is like, so, finally, somewhere for our Mank content. <laughs> Mank America great again. <laughs> Dave, what about you? What is... Uh... What actually went right for you in in 2020? What actually went right for me in 2020? I mean, that's tough. We had some social lot- movements. You've been feeling some angst. You want to see the world change. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm trying not to just go and talk about social things because I feel like I've, I drag that into the category now that we've been talking about it's like media. Yeah, but it's that's not what we're talking. That's not what we're talking about. I want to talk about. Uh, my thing this year, which is that the Mandalorian and uh, Miles Morales Spider-Man kind of came in and saved some of my long-term fandoms. Mm. Uh, so Rise of Skywalker came out in December. I saw it Holy four times in theaters. Shit. What? I the still f- hate came it. came out a year ago? Good Lord. Wait, can you, sidebar, can you spend like 15 seconds explaining how you were able to sit through that movie four times despite being, you know, clear of mind enough to hate it? First time was the premiere, so I didn't know. <laughs> Second time, uh, I saw it with my good friend Julian opening night uh, in one of those theaters with the seats that move around. They spray you with water. Yeah, and, and you, you got to so, see it again because you were so hopeful that you were wrong somehow. I get it. Uh, the third time was uh, with my family uh, because my dad very specifically told me um, somewhere around like 2001, 2002. It's like, if he's going to make episode through episode nine, I'm not going to be alive for that. Uh, so he was, that was fun. And then finally Java watched it when it was on Disney plus. So I ended up seeing it four times. Oh, but okay. The Don't fourth like time it. was not in theaters. That's the fourth time you could walk away. Yeah. You're not a hostage. Fourth time I could walk away. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's just times I've seen it, uh, completely either way. Um, uh, bad, uh, like really dampened my love of Star Wars and when like uh, D- 
Disney was bought Lucasfilm and was like, we're going to rejuvenate that. Uh, a lot of its product I bought into, uh, you know, books, uh, the app game David and I play, uh, the app game that I played before they canceled it, um, the Rebels cartoon series. Wait, Dave, have you uh, fired up a Galaxy of Heroes recently? I have. I've started going back because I was just so close. You said at one point you had Revan, and I'm like, "Fuck, I should go back dude, in and get Revan." Dude, dude. what what's your uh, what's your galaxy score right now? Uh, I think I'm like right under a million. I'm this probably, is what probably went more wrong powerful than me. for me in 2020. Okay. Just to be clear, and this I don't, don't want to brag, but uh, my galactic been power re- is like 3.7 million right now. It's a yeah, you've been crazy. like I'm sure relicking up your. Your teams oh, and everything. fuck it. And then they, just, not- they just introduced Relic Level 8. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? You can't just raise the ceiling like that. I had a yeah, god. Yeah, see, I don't, have any, I don't have any relics yet. Anyway, Actually. point being, I was very invested in Star Wars, as we were now, are now seeing. And then um, Rise of Skywalker came along, just like... Um, and even over the first season of The Mandalorian, which was good, it was like... So, very depressed about all Star Wars. Not a lot of Star Wars coming along. Then... Mandalorian season two comes along and we've all been pandemic uh just like being able to talk to like anybody like I I didn't realize that I would miss event tv so much immediately after the Game of Thrones year Mm because like even when Game of Thrones was happening I'm like this is basically the end of event tv yeah but that's fine you know we'll have other things to talk about pandemic really smashing into that and like making tv production weird uh, didn't help so it was nice having event tv again and it was cute Mandalorian stuff and that like sort of drew me back into Star Wars, and now it looks like maybe I'm not done with the series. And then uh, conversely, but faster, uh, Marvel didn't release any movies or TV shows this year, uh, so instead I had to just play them in video games, and not all those video games delivered an experience that I think was not only fun as a video game, but sort of like uh, emotionally resonant for the character, and I think Marvel's... Miles Morales Spider-Man did that, and at least while I was playing it, um, you know, found myself getting a little emotional towards the end, and then started New Game Plus as soon as it ended. Being that, like, my my fandom managed to stay alive without being, like, fed by official sources. Uh, I mean, Mandalorian's pretty official, but uh, when Disney fails you, uh, the fans can still, I think, renew something, is what I learned and I'm going to take that as a positive. I, like, I think that's really nice. There definitely has been some element, like I'm thinking about so much of the entertainment, like people have consumed on TikTok or like, you know, Broadway stars, like doing one night only events or, you know, anything where people have like kind of cobbled together their own entertainment. Like some of it's more populous than others, but there is a way that, like, you know, Marvel taking the year off and traditional entertainment being on the wayside, like a lot of interesting stuff has emerged. Can Not I, that on that, like, on that note. It with a season of Broadway, but like, I'm glad to have seen it. Can I give a quick shout out to our friends over at the George Lucas talk show who Mm -hmm. have been uh, continuing their previously monthly live show on live streaming on something called Planet Scum. Um, And uh, it has become longer and more freewheeling and uh, a real treat every Sunday night. Uh, And our friend, our very pregnant friend, Sonia Soraya of Vanity Fair was on there last night. Love it Jason, when people Jason who Mantis are about Davis. to have a baby do shit anyway. I, I, you just reminded me of something that I'm really thankful for. And I could never, I would never tweet about this or put it anywhere in, in writing. But I think I'm careful. I, I can say this on the podcast because it obviously exists oh and could be found out. But um, You get this podcast a, canceled, I swear no, to God. No, no, no. There is a Twitch channel called Movie Past. 
and there's a few like it out there, but it is basically a mini film festival every day, almost every day. And for instance, like what they're playing on the day we're recording this is they're playing um, <laughs> the, the, the theme of the week or the theme of the day is erotic films created by women. Um, they're huh. playing Bound. They're playing In the Cut, Beyond the Lights. Um, they're playing some 70s smut that I've never heard of. Uh, the, the channel's really cool. If you've been to a Draft House programmed uh, mini fest or a marathon day, they really they show things that they do not have the rights to, um, but they're showing things uh, that are really hard to find, foreign films that never got the right distribution, movies that have gone out of print, um, new movies that have like weird edits, like things that they would not be able to really show in a, in a public venue. They show them on Twitch where they will not be like captured or anything like that. Um, and they're very they're a little covert about doing it. And I'm not blowing up their spot because, I mean, they exist They exist in the public eye. But um, by doing it in, like, as temporary art, essentially, they can kind of do this. And the programming is always astounding. And the cool part about it is because it's on Twitch, like, if I'm taking a shit or I'm lying in bed or I'm, like, We can got to stop talking about the bathroom, you guys. That wasn't on the podcast. I'm <laughs> referencing something we talked about before about how I was going to watch Wonder Woman 1984 completely on Are the you sure that's not on the podcast? There's no guarantee Dave didn't leave that mm, in. I don't know. Anyway, the point is Movie Pass, movie pass on uh, Twitch is Is, is it Movie Past or Pass? Well, what's past weird is they have past. an Instagram account called Movie Past, P-A-S-S-E-D, but their Twitch channel is Movie Pass, P-A-S-S. Um, as in the check defunct. them out if you love movies if you love weird old movies 70s bonkers stuff that just would you would never rent you would never find it you would never think to watch it that's what this channel is so good about putting in front of you even if you watch it for like 20 minutes or the whole feature um their schedules are just so cool and i, I was thankful for that i'm just like trying to get out of what david bemoans with the disney stuff which is like here's all this pre-programmed garbage based on the biggest mm-hmm. IPs. We're just force-fed this stuff. And here's a channel that is trying to take Finally, the Finally, a of... Pluto TV without commercial. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> wow. Now you understand me. Maybe I, I forgot about Pluto TV. I'm also thankful for Pluto TV. Pluto TV. Well, we don't, we don't say I forgot about Pluto TV on this podcast, oh Batches. Uh, no, I forgot about all the great extra TV. channels on Pluto TV. I was just watching Pluto TV earlier tonight. They have a Price is Right channel. 24 hours a day, Price is Right. Old Price is Right from the 70s Bob wow. Barker, he's still with us did you know that in his 90s uh god i definitely thought he had died holy no, crap he's alive he was really old in the 70s yeah anyway. i remember watching the price is right never knowing if because i watched like let's make a deal and all kinds of stuff that really was from the 70s and the price is right oh the set always looks like it was from the 70s and I, it took me a long time as a kid to like figure out that being like oh there's a modern people yeah, it was that guy has his hat on backwards. Wait a minute. Um, speaking of pre-programmed IP, there was one that I loved with my whole heart, which was the Babysitters Club, um, which mm. might be my favorite show of the year. There are very few TV shows I've actually finished this year, so that's a short list. Oh my god, but, I've seen so many. Uh, I've I've watched some of a lot, but I have not finished very many because I just like feel like I'm always behind and I always have to move on to something else. Um, but the Babysitters Club was perfect. I'm so glad there's gonna be a season two. It felt like exactly what it should have been. Saved by the Bell reboot seems to have some of those vibes. I have only watched the first episode, um, but maybe I saw the first episode this weekend because it was free on Peacock and uh, it was very funny. Yeah, I enjoyed it immensely. So I need to figure out how to watch the rest of it. 
It was, but they were showing the Saved by the Bell original series as a marathon on some cable channel in honor of the new show or in promotion of the new show. And it is like, I mean, obviously this isn't much of a surprise, but it was truly galling how poorly that is aged. I, I don't think I could watch it. I watched so much of it as a kid and I, yeah, I don't think I could do it. Just like the fat jokes alone about this one random character who pops up for an episode are just like so cruel. <laughs> it was just like, I can't, I can't believe this was just, uh, this was ever, you know, without, without sounding, uh, what is the term that morons say? Uh, uh, valor. What's it like? Uh, what? Virtue signaling. Oh, that's it. Like a virtue sig- signaling. Wait, is that the it? one where they're trying to replace someone on the swim team and talking about the girl who weighs too much to swim anchor? Cause no, I I'm, have that, but, that has stuck in my brain. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised here. There are more than one episode. This wasn't like the main focus. It was just a scene where they're talking about like a class trip and there's a overweight guy and Zach keeps joking about how he's going to go to like the, he wants to go to like the Hershey factory or something. Good um, Lord. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, I cannot believe that there was ever a time we were all like, yeah, this is fine. <laughs> it was just so cruel. Uh, and the, what makes this show, but it's because of that, that the new, and, and, and that sort of uh, cluelessness and, and out to lunchness that the, the new Save by the Bell is such fertile ground to yeah. make fun of that. Yep. Uh, oh, I also, in the thing that we did for VF, wrote about the DNC roll call, which was so great. You know, as a, Oh, yeah. Like the Seeing Calama- all the people. The Calamari guy standing on the beach. Yeah, there's a lot of weird live TV. Like the Emmys like, had some good and some bad stuff. But that was such like a great idea that seems so obvious for them to continue for the next um, political convention. And I like it when we have to come up with things that are not having people in person, which is what we want to do more than anything. But uh, every now and then there's something that's better. And the DNC, DNC roll call totally was. All right. Well, 2020. That's all we can come up with. (laughs) It's almost over. But the thing that we keep, the the trick we're playing on ourselves is that we're like, oh, 2020, it's almost over. And then January is going to start and we're going to be exactly where we are right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You think nothing's going to change. I mean, here's the important thing. By the time this time next week hits, the days will start getting longer. And that's at least a step in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. I'm I'm thinking for snow. That's what I want. I yeah, I want snow. We have that Days here. Already had snow. Right. Well, this not episode mood, is going to roll booster. straight into 2021 at this rate. So <laughs> let's wrap. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. As we were just discussing, uh, we will have some amount of episodes over the holiday period that we might normally take off. We're not going anywhere. So next stick around. Christmas. In the meantime, tell the people who are. Oh my god, that's crazy. Um, I'm at Patches, so David knows for the future. I'm the senior editor at at Polygon. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and we have a website, fightingintheworm.com, where if you're on a browser in the middle of the day, listen to our podcast. Why not? Or send it to a friend. Uh, go on Twitch or TikTok or one of these fancy new platforms and tell all your streamer you fangled platforms listen to actually i think fighting in the war needs to get on twitch our next live episode should actually be twitch enabled because it was fun to God, be on i would chat love that weekend during our uh, polygons 54 hour stream i don't know if you could still we... donate donate to our innocence project uh, fund but if you can go do that or just i want to watch katie rich uh, live stream hades <laughs> for six hours that'd be awesome oh we talked about that one i remember that yeah. one but we didn't talk about Cyberpunk 2077, which we could watch you live stream as it crashes every 30 minutes on the on the minute. Katie, are you <laughs> so, getting your kids a, a Nintendo Switch this season? 
No, no. The last thing we need is, is more screen time, honestly. We still have our 10-year-old Wii set up in the basement, though, so maybe that's what I'll live stream. Wii That'd bowling. Awesome anyway, fun. I'm done. Who's the next person? Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the editor-in-chief of Polygon. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find uh, all of us on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Please leave us a review on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. We'll read it on the show. Your life will become a better place. You will become more popular. You'll feel more loved. Um, and you'll be able to carry that feeling throughout all of your days. And my name's Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also find me on the Storm, the Lost Rewatch podcast. We're rewatching Lost. Doesn't get less complex than that. And we're also <laughs> not taking any time off uh, for the holidays. So again, no complexity there. Just straight Lost. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com and uh, on the Little Gold Men podcast over there, where this week our pal Chris Rosen is on to interview Kaylee Cuoco of The Flight Attendant. Speaking of things that are, uh, you know, pre-packaged IP that I'm enjoying, um, you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. And you can find all of us on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R where you can tell us about Twitch streams that you want us to watch or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... There are so many upcoming Disney Plus things, uh, so what's one that looks good to you? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I'm done.